In 2022, young American upstart Elia Malinin became the first athlete to jump a quad axle in figure skating competition. While Elia lofts into the air off of one foot for four and a half revolutions and lands on the other, the skaters of yore chugged along the ice simply to get around. They skated on skates constructed from horse and cow bones, the oldest of which date to approximately 1800 BCE in Scandinavia. These skates were constructed by piercing a hole through a bone that was fitted with leather straps, and they were used to transport the wearers along rivers and canals. Unlike the self-anointed quad king's finely tuned microblades of steel, the bone skates had no sharp edge and were flat and slippery on the bottom. Because of this, skaters at the time couldn't push with their legs, so they would stab a stick into the ground between their legs or into the ice between their legs to push themselves along. Interestingly, in addition to bone being very durable, it was one of the best materials for skates because bone contains fat and the oily nature of the bone surface in contact with the ice would reduce friction, allowing for a more effortless glide. To quote Science Friday, in the 13th century, skaters made no bones about discarding, wait for it, these bones in favor of a wooden platform with a metal blade. This afforded better control and the advent of modern skating stroking. Bye-bye, sticks. Well, at least until hockey comes along. The transition to metal blades was mostly a boon, although the lack of fat did make gliding conditions a bit trickier, especially on the coldest of days, as one actually needs some form of lubricating moisture between the ice and the blade in order to glide. And now in modern times, competition ice sheets have special brine formulas for the hosted event, so figure skaters require a different surface and melting temperature from speed skaters and hockey skaters. The next advance to arrive by the 15th century was the curled toe of the blade. The cold winters of the Little Ice Age of the 13th through 19th centuries and the ability to mass-produce skates starting in the 18th century shifted skating away from a means of commuting to the more modern and specialized forms of skating we are now accustomed to getting us to the topics that spurred the evolution of simple jumps to these modern quads, as well as the modernizing of thin, fast blades for speed and distance skating, and of course, hockey blades. Fast forward to the winters of the 20th and 21st century, and thanks to those advances in skating equipment and to the advent of leisure time and recreation sports, we find ourselves blessed by the opportunity to enjoy the truly magical experience of gliding across an ephemeral desert ice sheet. On the right day with the right conditions, one may enjoy the magnificence of our desert landscape while three-turning, mohawking, spinning, or carving across this often fleeting gift of ice. And that is the topic of today's Great Wide Open. We sit down with three of Moab's most enthusiastic pursuers of desert ice and learn the nuances of the timing, the etiquette, and some great safety tips, including what not to do if you'd like to stay safely out of the Moab Booted and Bladed Polar Bear Club. Good afternoon, KZMU listeners in Moablandia and beyond. This is Lisa, your host of Great Wide Open. Heard most first Mondays of most months, mostly at 4 o'clock, but you know, this is Moab. So we uh, never really know if that's going to hold true or not, but this month it is. And this month, we have a very special show. I've been wanting to do this show for a long time. We are going to have a conversation today about the magic and the elusive nature of desert ice. And sitting before me today are three of Moablandia's greatest ice aficionados. We have Rick Beretti, Eric Jones, Ian Jewell. If you know anything about Moab skating, you know that these three hold the gold standard for skating and maintaining ice and apprising the world of ice conditions here in Moab. So we're gonna go around and introduce this illustrious panel of ice specialists, starting with you, Mr. Beretti. I'm Rick. Would you like to tell us a little bit <laughs> about your background as a skater, Rick? Uh, uh, well, I grew up, well, I never grew up, but I was raised in Chicago and uh, play, grew up playing hockey. and. Uh, and then came out here, and, uh, and we've uh, got a, quite the contingent of, of hockey players nowadays. 
And now we can skate in the mountains. Good thing about global warming is that since I moved here, <laughs> I always wanted to skate on those lakes. And uh, we it snowed, and now uh, we don't have snow. So a lot of times, till well, some years it was like January, February. So we could skate in the mountains. And that ice is the best. And then in the middle of this panel, we have Mr. Eric Jones. And if you don't know Mr. Eric Jones from his ice forays, perhaps you know him from his musical forays because he's one of the most talented musicians I know anywhere, not just restricted to Moablandia. Mr. Jones. Aren't you kind? I am. Yeah, I grew up uh, skating in Colorado and then later up in uh, South Dakota in the Dakota Territory and then moved here. And for many years, I didn't skate because I didn't realize there was desert ice to be had. And uh, one day I wandered out to Ken's Lake, amazed to find it was frozen, and uh, launched my desert skating career. And now we have Ian Jewell, who has become quite the torchbearer for uh, keeping our community stoked and informed uh, about ice conditions. Ian, tell us a little bit about yourself and your Ice, ice experience. Yes. Hello. I'm Ian. Um, I grew up in Philadelphia. Um, my father's Canadian, so he started me playing youth hockey early. So I uh, played youth hockey in, um, in Washington, D.C., in Philadelphia when I was young. And then I um, moved out to Moab. Uh, I've been in Moab 18 years now. And like Eric, also, my first like two or three years, I had no idea you could ice skate here. And I think maybe it was like the third year when I discovered that Ken's Lake was frozen and went out and saw these guys and was pleasantly surprised well and i'm going to introduce myself too even though i theoretically already have but in terms of skating i too am an ice skater unlike the three of you who uh zip around on your toe pick less <laughs> torturous dangerous little carving machines i grew up with uh toe picks and white skates and doing the jumping and spinning thing and lo and behold i think we're gonna discover a theme here i came to moab and the last thing I thought about bringing with me from the East Coast was my, my ice skates, my figure skates. And then one day, I just happened to catch word from somebody like, oh, you skate? Do you know about Ken's Lake? I was like, what? I was slightly suspicious because growing up um, an indoor skater, actually, not true. I did grow up, start out as a pond skater, as most of us do. And then we move inside. And... Um, figure skaters and hockey skaters, I think both might have a little predilection for certain types of ice surfaces after a while. You get to be a little bit of an ice snob, especially those of us that are uh, jumping and spinning or dogs forbid, like we used to have to do in the old day, trace circles one on top of another without being able to tell that there's more than one trace sitting there on the ice. Those are called figures for anyone who wants to get into the weeds about this. I love the weeds. I live in the weeds. Can you tell I live in the weeds? Eric knows I live in the weeds. Anywho, I was always a little bit suspicious about outside ice because it's a very, it's not typically a very great surface. But one of the magics about desert ice is that it can be a nearly perfect surface. So I was pleasantly surprised and could not get my ice skates out here fast enough. So Rick, when you first came to Moab to skate... Was there much of a community out there that you found? Or were you kind of just like solo missioning? And Yeah, well, we, used to, we used to skate at the sloughs a lot too. The sloughs used to have a lot more water and freeze, so the sloughs is a good place and that. And uh, yeah, we would have, uh, sometimes we're fighting to have two on two, three on three, but there was uh, used to be a lot more park service people that played. And we were kind of off all winter and played, but uh, we have a lot more skaters now. Well, yeah, Rick, you just said you were fighting to have two on two on or three on three. Eric Jones, I know you remember those days quite well. Let's talk about uh, two weeks ago. How many on how many? Well, this year there was uh, just an explosion of hockey talent in the Valley here. And uh, to the point of actually having two games going at a time with, what was it, five or seven or so on each side. And we had, we've never experienced anything like that we used to i mean we used to have the you know the phone tree where you called everybody that you knew who might possibly come out and play hockey so we could get a game and guilt them you know i mean i know you were at the hospital last week but <laughs> you know that was an arm and you don't you don't skate on that come on out just play one you know you can you can shoot one-armed 
And uh, I do want to say that I'm pretty sure last weekend I counted 12 on 13 at one point or two weekends ago. And um, for those of you who perhaps watch hockey at home uh, and haven't been out to one of these hockey games, one of the things I found very interesting about where this has come in the you know, 20 plus years I've lived here since I was like five or six or something <laughs> like that. Right. Um, usually you have a big net and a goalkeeper, but you guys have uh, a tiny little hole that you're shooting that puck into. We've modified the game quite a bit over the years. For for many years, we used a bucket, you know, and it was just hit the bucket. But you play with, essentially without goalies. So, uh, but but now uh, through the through the skill of Ian bringing foreign technologies to us, which is a a board with a hole in it that the puck fits through. And uh, and that's the goal, and it's been working really well. Ian, would you like to elaborate on these uh, foreign technologies? Um, is this something that you read about or saw, or is it just something you crafted in your mind? No, I would say we, we, we're probably emulating. Uh, they actually do have, like, um, organized pond hockey, like in you know Minnesota and Wisconsin and stuff, and there is kind of like a template. So you can go on the Internet and see what they use in their pond hockey tournaments, and we kind of emulate that a little bit and modify it for our purposes. Did they go 12 on 13? No, on they don't. I think, I think regulation pond hockey is four on four. Re, four. There's regulation well, pond hockey. like tournament pond hockey that they have in like Wisconsin and Minnesota, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I guess that totally makes sense because, uh, yeah. you know, everything always goes to that next level. Yeah. And uh, so back to 12 on 13 versus the two on two on a good day. Ian, one of the things you and I have talked about, um, you know, in our personal time is uh, when I first knew you, you were a very avid climber. And one of the things that happens in climbing a lot is there's it's shrouded in a lot of secrecy. Like you don't bring people to your zones until uh, you've like ticked off all the classics or (laughs) all the things you can or you're desperate enough that you need somebody to help you. So can you comment at all about that transition for you? Were you a secretive climber and now you're like, <laughs> now you're getting everybody involved that you meet in figure in uh, ice skating? No, I was, I was not really a secretive climber, although I did get to the point where people annoyed me. Indian Creek specifically, would, you know, you'd want the place to yourself. But no, I was never, I was thinking about this today because I, I also do get a lot of solo time. I mean, I, I skate up in the mountains a lot at um, Geyser Pass and Uwa uh, uh, and also over the, Dark Canyon Lake, and I, I during during the course of any given year, I get a lot of like solo time, where I'm out by myself at sunrise, and it's beautiful, and that's great, and I love that. But as a hockey player at heart, I would way rather have as many people as possible. So yeah, it's app for me. It's the more the merrier, and spread the word, and like Eric saying, get gather the troops. Well, in several years back, I don't know. I feel like it's been at least ten years now. Um, at some point on social media, and it might have been you, Rick, that started this, I'm not even sure, the, the Moab Ice Rink Facebook group page, which has basically become the clearinghouse for, um, for Moab area skaters. And as I recall, in the early days, it was actually there was conversation about possibly bringing an ice rink to Moab. Yeah, it started out when the, I think at the rodeo or what what is it the spanish trail, spanish trail, trail yeah. Yeah, we had talked to them they they were interested in maybe putting water and freezing it so we could have ice and that kind of fell through and then it became more just a, a ice you know getting together for ice conditions and playing hockey and and then from there we get jumped to ian who has basically like some point in november we're we're like okay well it might have been cold somewhere last night so ian's probably somewhere up in the mountains finding like uh, a two by two sheet of ice to it's mid-october it's october 17th <laughs> two out of the last four years has been october 17th it's been the first ice skating day in san juan county technically where where do you start uh a geyser pass there's a little pond i think terry mcgann said it's called scout lake uh, right at geyser pass summit it's a little pond that that's right near the road but you can't see it Interesting. I've yeah. never noticed that um, there's a... 10,400 feet, I think. And so do you pretty much set your clock and you're like waiting for the day that the ice is going to come back? Yes. <laughs> what about you, Eric? What is, uh, what is your... Uh, what gets you going? 
Well, you know, Ian has definitely taught us to push the limits of, uh, <laughs> of e- 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 extending the season. Uh, but I, I recall some years where, you know, at the beginning of the season or the possible beginning of the season when you, you know, you're watching the temperatures and you think it just might be cold enough, where I would go out to to Ken's Lake and it's still water, but I swear there are guys with hockey sticks standing on the edge of the water. People you haven't seen since last year waiting for the ice to freeze. Just willing. Knowing it. it's it's going to be in the next 12 hours. <laughs> <laughs> and unlike the watch pot that boils, the watch Ken's Lake will freeze. It will freeze apparently. sometimes. Some, sometimes it's, it, it, you know, that early ice is so perfect, but sometimes... It's maybe not the safest thing to skate on, but it is so tempting. Do do we want to diverge into the the safety thing right now, or uh, <laughs> because speaking of thin ice, we've had uh, we've had some experiences with thin ice in our group here. I don't know if we want to talk about it There's, or not. Uh, was it John, me and Johnny? You are members of the Moab Polar Bear Club. There's three. There's another this year. We added one. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So apparently, um, we call it the Moab Polar Bear Club. And I'm not sure if Rick should tell his own story or if Eric Jones should tell the story because the way Eric tells it, <laughs> I think, is actually the. Um, more colorfully embellished <laughs> so maybe well, maybe you guys can tag team on and in all seriousness you got to be careful when you're out there pond skating it's always been one of the things actually that terrified me and when i first went out to ken's lake and was hearing the wumps that anyone who has pond skated has probably heard the wumps of moving water under ice it's a beautiful sound. It's a beautiful sound, but also slightly terrifying if you get a little bit from shore. But I'm going to let Eric tell us about one of his most interesting days. At... Should I? Yeah, I think you guys should tag team. Well, w- well, we were we were out one morning um, shoveling, Ian and uh, Terry McGann and I, and uh, shoveling the rink, and uh, and uh, Rick came out and and skated past us, and I'm like, Rick, we're shoveling. <laughs> Where are you going, man? <laughs> and then Rick had skated off out out into the ice, and we continued shoveling until uh, my wife Karen, who was on shore, looked up and said, "Where's Rick?" And and we looked uh, across the horizon and didn't see him until uh, we finally did spot him, and he was barely barely above the ice. So we set about set about extracting. Fortunately. Rick brought the safety gear necessary. I always carry a throw line. I, I always figure it was for other people. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and fortunately, uh, yeah, I think Terry knew where that was. And we and the, the other interesting thing was when we all three set out to uh, to to rescue Rick, we all went by different routes. And not by any sort of plan. It was just each of us went by what we thought was the safest way to get there. And we uh, we all met at the other end, but we all took different routes to get there. Rick, do you have anything to add to this uh, this story? Uh, yeah, I remember, well, I remember Ian coming out. I remember stopping Ian to say, we don't all need to be in here. <laughs> I have a throw line. Um, I, I just, I, I was skating the day before at the sloughs. We used to skate at the sloughs more than at Ken's Lake. But, and usually at the sloughs, and usually when you hit thin ice, it kind of lets you know and you can back off. We have, and we were shoveling, we have shoveled hundreds of miles of snow off these lakes over the years but uh i saw open eyes said well i'll check that out see if we don't have to shovel and uh and um it didn't give me a warning i was just in and um yeah i wasn't getting out either um you know you you, you see those safety things about kicking out and getting yourself out of water um that wasn't happening especially with ice skates on and you know there was just nothing to grab onto and um i looked into it later in Minnesota, like all those ice fishermen, they carry picks of life, which I always carry now. Just a little plastic, they float, and it's got a sheath if you put it in. It was all you need is a handhold. Um, and like even the ice fishermen in Minnesota, they'll at least carry a screwdriver. You know, just because all you need is a handhold, then you're out, or like a throwing line was helpful. Um, so no one should ever go out there without a picks of life or a, a throwing line or that. Um, and like, like again, too, I would I'd be out there a lot by myself, especially in the old days, because I'd be, sh- I'd drop my kid off at school and shovel and shovel and, and, uh, I just thought about, man, if I ever fell in then, it would have been not a good thing. 
Not a great thing at all. So, um, but and then I went home and took a shower and came back and finished playing hockey. You never, <laughs> yeah. know, you never know how long you have to skate out here. He skated later that day. <laughs> it is true. The ice is ephemeral at best. Ian, do you have anything to add to this story? And uh, can you tell us about the the new members of the club? Uh, no, I mean that. Yeah, that was scary. Yeah, because Rick was. I, I was worried he was going to get hypothermic. After he got out, I was like, "You get undressed, take your clothes off." You know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and uh, um, yeah, another guy. Last year, Johnny fell in, and then this year, uh, uh, we were up at uh, the stock pond, South Mesa stock pond, and same thing. Somebody was chasing a puck, and they kind of the younger guys. They're like maybe like overzealous, and they go chase the puck, and they'll throw the brakes on right near the edge. Oftentimes, the edges of the of the pond are more. Uh, especially in the afternoon, are more dangerous. And a couple guys are chasing a puck and threw the brakes on. When they throw the brakes on, they just psh, plunk down. And um, so, But uh, uh, the stock pond's really shallow, so they only they didn't go in, you know, maybe up to their waist or something like that. So, so you always send kids after the puck, right, because they're lighter. <laughs> yeah, you should yeah. definitely send the lightest. And, well, first of all, shout out to Karen Downey for uh, saving Rick Beretti's life <laughs> because it is quite possible that she did. Um we're laughing about safety, but we'll get on to a little bit more serious part of that later and do a little rundown of how one can be safe um, skating on our surfaces. Um, but what is, uh, like you said you had, everyone took a different approach to, it sounds like Rick has been the most serious rescue that we know of in our immediate collective. What did... Uh, what techniques were you all employing and what worked and what didn't? It, well, it turns out everything worked because everybody, <laughs> everybody got there safely. But we, we all took uh, different, different routes that we thought uh, would, would get us there, I guess. And like, so in my mind, you know, being a climber, I always, when I'm on the ice, I like to bring a crash pad because those things float. And I'm like, oh, I could lie on that and possibly try to help somebody although you don't usually want to get anywhere near someone who's in water who doesn't want to be because they're going to want to pull you in with them rick congratulations for having the wherewithal to tell ian not to join you but <laughs> what uh like what did you guys do well it was it was the throw bag that was that was the reason we were able to get him out um you know rick brought the throw bag and it and it saved his life because uh you know we were able to get it to him and we all by that point, I mean, the adrenaline was pretty hyper. By the time uh, Rick grabbed onto the rope, I mean, we yanked him out like a cork coming out of a champagne bottle. <laughs> How I mean, close he, did you get? However long that rope was, I don't recall. And and nobody, you weren't worried about the ice? Well, you, of course, of course you are. But, but um, you know, there the most pressing matter was getting Rick out of the ice. That is the most pressing matter <laughs> without, without joining him and into so, the polar yeah. bear club. And, uh, and everything worked out great. The game went on. So, yeah. So you get Rick out, <laughs> you convince him that he might want to, uh, be, you know, deal with his hypothermia. And then you just pick up your sticks and start playing again. He went home. Rick got in the, got in the truck and drove home. But you guys, Oh, we kept playing. We kept yeah, playing. yeah. Yeah. No, we knew he would be, come back. <laughs> yeah. Or I assumed, you know, I think he said he would. Right. And yeah. well, and there's another amongst you who has a, a good uh, skating injury story. Would you like to share yours? We're back to Eric again, well, telling the story. Well, yeah, there are at least at least two of us have have driven ourselves to the ER <laughs> because there was a game on, and no one else could free themselves up from the game to drive their friends to the ER. <laughs> It is really that the people who are playing hockey in this town are really that committed. I went out there a couple of weeks ago with some recording stuff and skated around a little bit. And I was like, yeah, no, I am not going to get live recording because these people are in it to win it. Well, the rules are uh, if you if you get injured, then somebody will come up to you and say, are you OK? And if you can utter a response, that means you're OK. And the game goes on, and you're on your own. You're on your own. And why don't you elaborate how on your own you were? Because that's well, a pretty good story. So I, it, I went out. It was my first day on the ice. I got there. I got my skates on. The game was already going. It was the first day of skating. First day of skating. Everybody is is amped up. I skated, you know, down one side, 
came back to the other side, found myself in, in position to take a shot. It was an awkward shot. And so I, I made the shot, but then fell oddly and uh, dislocated my shoulder and fractured my humerus. Uh, so the game stopped for almost a minute. <laughs> while, Mainly to get you out of the way. While I crawled off the ice. And uh, fortunately, uh, Steve Thurlow was there. He was gracious enough to, to get my, my skates off and also close my pickup door because my arm was in such an angle that it had to go out the window. Uh, and then I drove myself to the ER. <laughs> So you had 50 minutes of hockey here, but, so, but it was yeah, the best 15 but, minutes of hockey. Right. But unlike Rick, I wasn't able to come back and play later that day. <laughs> it sounded like you you had a few weeks off from skating, which probably scared. hurt because... like uh, yeah, I, I missed the season. Missed the season. And once that ice is there, we want to get as much out of it as we can. Um, Ian, so how many surfaces... like? Going back to what Rick said earlier about the sloughs, um, I started out skating at Ken's Lake, but then discovered the sloughs. And that was just for me as a figure skater. And that's the, you know, I'm the kind of person that likes to do the jumps and the spins. That ice was like total magic. Um, It was usually really flat, really clean and would, you know, melt and refreeze at night. Um, And then there's Ken's Lake. That was all I knew about. I didn't know about stock ponds or any of these other ones. So, what's your what's your hit list, and where do you start? Well, that was the same what's with that was the same with me. I sort of discovered Ken's Lake. These you know fell in with these guys, and they turned me on to the sloughs, same as you, you, and which I thought was awesome. And um, and then that I think that was for me anyway. That was the you know kind of only two things for a couple years, and then uh, um, after I don't you know another you know, whatever it was, two or three or four years, I started to think, well, what about the mountains? Like I could, and I think uh, Uwa was the first one I kind of, you know, realized that when conditions were right. And Uwa is fantastic because it has a really nice sort of uh, profile, sort of how the, the, it gets really good shade in the morning and the late afternoon and only a few hours of, of like direct sunlight, which is kind of what you want in early season. And then Warner, we had some really magical days up on, on, on Warner Lake when conditions, that that's, gets all sunlight. It doesn't really get any shade early morning and afternoon, so it's, it's, it needs really cold temperatures. But when it's good, it's fantastic. Um, but then both of those, obviously, you know, road access becomes a problem later in the season. Like I said, geyser pass early in the season. And then uh, Dark Canyon Lake is, to me, is like my f- absolute favorite. Um, that you can either go over geyser pass early in the season or around you know, through old LaSalle and that's a really good sized lake and it's about what 9,000 or 9,500 feet. And it's fantastic when it freezes. It's just like, I would say legitimately magical. Um, and South Mesa stock pond. That is the other one that that's a I've skated at Clark's Lake. Clark. Oh yeah. Oh, that's right. You hiked in, right? Yeah. And the Clark's yeah. in Uwa in one day. And yeah. That, um... And how was that? That's Clark. It, it was great that time. I've been there since then. It all depends on the season, you know. Yeah. Like in the early days, we got a lot more snow, so that it was just you couldn't get this, you couldn't skate because there'd be three feet of snow on the ice. So now with, you know, now it is, and it's like anything. You know, some years I remember we've had one day of hockey or skating, and some years we've had we've had three months. Um, and the, the best is when we don't get snow, and then it's warm in the afternoon. It's just as natural zamboni, and the next yeah. day, then you get up in the morning, and it's like glass. Yeah, it's kind of a double-edged sword to be like a winter sports person, but then being like, kind of be nice if it didn't snow, but it was cold enough at night. And and it is um, one of the things that we do have as an advantage in our desert ice situation. Sometimes it's frustrating that the ice can get soft really early, but that also creates... Um, the nature's Zamboni, but you guys have also created this whole, like the, the shoveling. Well, that's, you know, of course, shoveling is essential, but, um, Ian has really facilitated and taught us the art of, of good ice maintenance, um, by shoveling every, every day at the end, but more importantly, coming to the ice with four shovels, Big shovels. These are big, these big are shovels. these are large, thirty-six inch wide, double handle shovels, almost plows. You would almost call them ice plows, and um, you can get them on the internet. You can you know they order them and they deliver them in this giant box. And yeah, you got to have big shovels and lots of them. 
Yeah, the, the sophistication has definitely gone up in terms of like the ice maintenance. And I noticed um, during your hockey game, you took a little uh, Zamboni break. Yeah, we do. We do between periods. Yeah, intermission. We will scrape. There. It makes a big difference and it yeah. extends our season too. Yeah, and it makes the ice so nice. So the ice, even in that little inlet. So, you know, some years Ken's Lake will freeze in its entirety. Sometimes it's just sections. I haven't been out there this year and seen more than just the little inlet kind of by... Uh, like towards the campground area where there's a bathroom. I haven't seen anything beyond that really freezing. Um, so uh, we skated. I skated on near the dam this year several days, and then also over on the uh, west side. We skated a couple days over on kind of the west side of the lake. We had a little session. I think the moral to the story is you got to really be ready to get out of bed and yeah. and hit it hard. Yeah, and explore. And explore. And before we get off the medical field, <laughs> we do sometimes, um, like last year, we did we did drive Ian to the hospital when he had a head concussion. <laughs> so, oh, oh, so I didn't know this before. Ian is also part of the of the um, med rescue team. What happened to you? Oh, I fell out. I, I, uh, usually in hockey, I think this is true of all levels of hockey, the worst collisions are when you collide with a teammate. Yeah, because um, it's inadvertent. And yeah, I went back and smashed the back of my head and got a concussion and had to go to the hospital. I wear a helmet all the time now. I used to sometimes wear a helmet, sometimes not. And now I always do wear a helmet. Well, the other thing that I noticed um, about watching, you know, your style of play, typically we think of hockey as being a little bit rough and tumble. And, you know, you have your enforcers if you're like following, like, say, the Pittsburgh Penguins or something like that. And and you know that there's going to be a couple guys out there. They're going to rough you up. But um I noticed that there was a really good flow between the more experienced skaters and players and the like nobody's trying to kill each other out there. It's like you can see people get competitive for a minute with someone who they know is like of their same skating ability. But the second it gets a little mixed up every there's just like a little nice organic back off. This is very civilized hockey. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you're you're absolutely right that people play to their ability, but I mean you have to you have to rein it in, knowing that you want to keep playing and you keep playing by keeping other people interested in the game, and uh, you know and 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 keeping them out of the ER. So uh, <laughs> so yeah, it, it it is a it is a very a very civil form of hockey it is it's very civil and it's very open and welcoming like if you are a person who does not know the moab community um i think eric you said there were some people maybe from massachusetts and people came over from grand junction well i you know i took a poll this year at one point because there, I, I was out skating and and i didn't know anybody there from past years so i so i quizzed them and and it was uh virtually all new englanders you know a couple from vermont couple from maine massachusetts connecticut and uh you know it's it's just amazing how how skaters do find ice they <laughs> they smell it i guess it's just like where is that frozen body of water i personally yeah. am so glad that i was actually like in my mind, I guess, brave enough to try this open surface skating because I did find it a little bit discomforting at first coming from the inside situation with nicely glazed Zamboni ice. But Well, I, I once uh, skated or at least tried to skate courthouse wash once out of, out of desperation, and uh, that... I wouldn't recommend. <laughs> we did it one year. We hiked, we skated like mile and a half up there. It was high water and it was glass. It was awesome. It was. Yeah, but and it's only one year it's been since I've been here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but if do you try? Do you try every year? <laughs> well, I check it out every year. But uh, and actually, one time we went up uh, towards Mary Jane Canyon with uh, I carried ice skates all the way just in the hopes to skate and. It wasn't happening. <laughs> More than likely, it's not going to happen. But if can, it's uh... hey, I've gone to, and I don't necessarily recommend this because this can be really dangerous too. But I've gone to potholes before just to you know do a few spins, like not enough space to be able to pull off a jump, but just enough that I mean, how how cool is it that you can go into a frozen pothole, presuming that you have some idea how safe it is, and just like you've got red rock around you blue sky and you're like spinning and turning on ice it's such a unique experience yeah. and then all our ice rinks are the most beautiful ice rinks in the world you know when you're in the mountains you mean down here you got the reflection of the mountains and the ice um 
It's, Absolutely. It's, it's the best. I do. I think that is the magic. You know, and there, I also, you know, we're talking about hockey, but I mean, just the, the pursuit of skating. Skating is so wonderful. And I love uh, full moon skating and sunrise skating. And those are, those are wonderful times. You've when usually Ken, got big ice to yourself. When Cane Lakes freeze the whole thing, well, that's a lot of ice. That you, that's is just skating. A lot of and ice. the old days in the sloughs, you, when they had the, you could, you could put your, put your skates on at the blind and you'd, there's all like little rooms. You go through the woods, you know, and you see lion tracks, you know, and, and then you come to the big pond and you can skate to the river. And it was, it was yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's magical moments. And, even just, you know, being out there at Ken's Lake, which sometimes, you know, as locals, we might be like, oh, Ken's Lake, there's all these people out there from, you know, like, can be poo-pooed or whatever. But when you're out there and it's, you've got this view of the mountains and the red rocks and you're skating on ice and it's just like kind of mind-blowing just from a sensory standpoint of like what you are surrounded by and what your feet are doing, what your body is doing. So, uh... Have any of you guys ever, uh, have you ever tried jumping or spinning? I, I, I've, I've jumped and spun, but not on purpose. I've had Neil Herbert hit me and spin me around quite a bit. <laughs> but but you've, never, you've never tried to um, voluntarily leave the ice on one foot and land on the other? Only for distance. We were kids, yeah, we used to set up barrels. We watched barrel jumping, yeah. You never yeah. see barrel jumping anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> we thought that was pretty cool. But... Yeah. Anything, anything with a toe pick is uh, bad for a hockey player. Well, you know, anytime you, you know, we're all, we all probably have about the same size feet. So if any of you ever <laughs> want to uh, take mine for a test drive, you're more than welcome to. But it is kind of funny. I've noticed over the years, I haven't been skating as much in the past few years as I did earlier on, but I haven't seen that many jumpers and spinners around. Do you see very many jumpers and spinners? There are some, but not that many. I, I have definitely seen their tracks in the ice this year. You've seen evidence and of them. I have seen evidence of spinners. Skater scat. Bill Godshaw, I don't know if you know him. I think he works at the, the high school, Grand County High School. He's a figure skater. He's a very good skater. And he, it's, I think it's almost like ice dancing. And he sometimes will come out in the afternoon. And he's very good, to, cool to watch. He's like a really good skater. And um, there was a woman out last year, last couple of years. She's on some sort of Nordic slash speed skates, some sort of long blade skates that I've seen. And she has, you know, one of those sticks that the, the Nordic people use. So like different styles and different methods. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually always been curious if we have any of those sort of like long, you know, um, I think it might be even Farland that you've seen out there yeah, yeah, um, yeah. with because she does. I, I can't remember what the name of that style of skate is because it's not a speed skate. Technically, yeah. it's like a distance skate yeah. and um, distance skating is very popular in you know, a lot of countries that have canals that freeze or long stretches of ice. But uh, have you ever encountered other than a courthouse wash mile and a half? Have you come across anything that? lends itself towards that style of skating recapture somebody told me that recapture the whole lake was fr somebody told me that recapture the whole lake was frozen this year but i don't know that it was uh snow free but yeah. I'm, well, that's like that's a bit of a bucket list for me if i could catch recapture on the in the right conditions i think you would get a legitimate full day of like distance skate backpacking that could be really cool because that does go pretty far up yeah so when you guys are, are out there early season, I say you guys because you guys are, to me, um, you know, you're the first ones out there. You're setting the standard for conditions and safety. What are you using for determining factors for, like, don't go past this point or, okay, I'm getting, right now I'm getting, I know you can't see us in the studio, but if you know this crew up here and you could see these, like, conspiratorial little giggles and... uh Hmm. The formula depends on how badly you want to skate. Well, we're boys. We don't always do the smartest thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're not uh, bringing like an auger bit out there and drilling down and being like, oh, well, it only goes down to three inches here. So no going past this point. People have done that. <laughs> oh, all right so um we recommend it <laughs> it's very i think it's very each person has their own method i think there's no standard in my opinion uh, i am anti-drilling myself i'm like the idea of taking perfectly good ice and 
you know, drilling it or damaging it in any way is, you know, the antithesis of... We have nothing against ice fishermen. No, well, well, we... Yeah. Except, <laughs> except the one that augered a hole on our hockey rink a few years ago. And then was and then was chumming. <laughs> well, what do we do about that? You, there's no evidence of him anymore. Oh my goodness gracious, he's been lost, lost to history. <laughs> so, moral to that story is no chum on the ice, figuratively or literally. Or rocks. Or rocks. No rocks are skater rocks. killers. They they are, and we've and uh, we've had very few rock chuckers this year as well, which is. Wonderful, because usually they're uh, they're remarkably resilient in uh, the rock chuckers. Yeah. So if you're out there listening and you are are like staring at a perfectly flat surface of ice, resist the temptation to throw any debris whatsoever, because you know you could you could knock a figure skater right on her butt. We have had people injured by skating over rocks. And, yeah, I have uh, taken some tumbles from said. Obstacles. I don't know that they were thrown intentionally, but it's something to think about. The other thing, I mean, we talked a lot about hockey because you three come from a hockey background, and there's a very robust hockey scene that's going on um, at the Ken's Lake area in particular. Um, but you guys also do a really good job, I'm assuming it's you guys, um, clearing space for the, let's call them the, um, the recreation or the open skaters. And is that like part of your routine? You get out there and you're like, we got a shovel for a, one for all, all for one? Absolutely. Ideally, if there's a lot of snow, the best case scenario is shovel two or three rinks. And there is some self-interest involved because we want to keep them off our hockey rink, you know, like for some. But yeah, ideally, we want to have, you know, a, a space for us to play hockey. And we want to also definitely make a big space for families and kids and, yeah, recreational skaters. Um, yeah. And I've seen also a lot of positive things about like trying to hook people up with gear. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And we like to skate too. <laughs> so I like, I like to, you know, we get a big circle around it. There's a lot of snow. Um, that's our thing too. When people walk across the snow and when people walk across the snow, if, if then that freezes and they have footprints and it ruins the ice too, you know, cause we can shovel that later, but we have lunar skates. We have, um, well, Audrey Graham for a long time had skates. Everyone had donated. And then, uh, Glenn and Annie, Glenn Cheryl, and you know, gave us their skates. We have just for the communities given us a bunch of skates, and they're just for loaning. Uh, a lot of times, if I see kids throwing ice, I say, hey, you know, we'll give them skates and have them skate, and then they they think it's pretty cool, and they don't throw rocks anymore, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> but we have skates, uh, you know, kid, you know, a lot of kids skates too. So it's, it's you know, you don't want us to really spend hundreds of dollars on your kids' skates when they're only going to use them for a month here or a, or a week <laughs> possibly. Um, so we have we have loaner skates that people can use it. Um, we have a lot of different sizes and that, so we try to hook people up with that if they need it. Yeah, gear is tough to get out here, so you you really have to you have to plan ahead and uh, and share as best you can. Um, you know, because you can't you can't just say, "Oh, there's good ice. I need to go buy a hockey stick." Right, right. We don't have that resource readily available. And if you are out there listening, and you're the kind of person who loves to go to gj or salt lake and cruise the thrift shops if you see especially in the summertime you can find skating gear hockey sticks things like that you know take a chance on it get in touch with one of these guys and they will find a way to make sure it gets into good use so if someone's out there and they're listening to this and they've always been curious about wanting to explore this option here in moab what would you recommend that they do um, to get their feet on the ice? Be patient. <laughs> <laughs> Be patient. Wait for the ice. But let's us say, like, we're we're going into another potential like freeze situation. Third season. So third season. <laughs> We've had some freeze thaws. If someone hasn't been skating ever or this year, they can show up at the ice sheet pretty early in the morning and is there like a pile of skates there that they can how's it go down i used to always just carry them with me and have them um i don't as much anymore they can always go on the uh, facebook to the moab ice rink and say hey we're going to be here at a certain time and, and get in touch with us that way and we bring skates or they can come pick them up 
Yes, yes. We have been using the, the Facebook page. It's called Moab Ice Rink. And we, like as you mentioned earlier, we've been using it as a uh, bulletin board, clearing house, gear exchange. And so, you know, often during the week we'll go on there and say, hey, has anybody checked out the sloughs or Ken's Lake? And, and so, yeah, if, if somebody was interested in, uh, you know, uh, participating, they should check out our, our Facebook page and join it and ask questions and uh, – yeah, we, we like to, as you said, like welcome people and, and give them the info and have them come out and, and play. That's so awesome. I love the um, open door philosophy that um, this community has towards ICE. I'm wondering if it's getting to the point that um, we might need a JV and a varsity team for or two teams. Yeah, I think Chris Venegas is trying to get youth, youth some youth action, some six and seven-year-olds, some peewees and squirts. And yeah, he's he's making an effort to get some of the... Is it charter school or probably HMK kids going? So I don't know how well that's going, but I think he's got maybe like two or three kids. But we're not going to move to cages and, and goalies? Well, I was just going to say, previously, youth hockey had been everybody under 50. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, it's not it's not really been homegrown here as much. Uh but kind of like the way that climbing has grown in leaps and bounds, and now we have like junior climbing teams. There you go. Whereas when I started climbing, you didn't see youth climbing was, yeah, anyone under 50 and older than probably 25. And now it's going to become a thing, even though it might be brief and fleeting. But uh, are there any particular moments that you would like to share that are some of the like highlights of your skating experience in uh, Moab? Rick, do you have a highlight experience or two for us aside from your um cold <laughs> cold dip uh, um, i don't know highlights so i just i just think we we're talking about head injuries before and um <laughs> 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 and I've, i had three concussions playing hockey as a kid but um we we were playing we would play broom ball for a while at the sloughs and we had more injuries playing broom ball than anything else and people always constantly slipping and hitting the backs of their head um, so but um yeah new skaters too um Helmet's not a bad idea. Old skaters he, too. He Helmet's so not a bad okay. idea. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 socially acceptable now. That is good because <laughs> we've yeah. all hit our heads. And hitting your head if you've done that and uh, on ice is no fun. Gets harder every year. Yep. The ice, I mean. And I did it one time and couldn't see for a while. And I thought I was I was a young kid. I thought I was going to get in trouble, so I didn't tell anyone. I just walked around <laughs> blind, wondering if I was going to be able to see again. So really, yeah. I lost my hearing that way. Oh boy. Once. Well, it <laughs> doesn't take this crew to go back down into the into the nitty-gritty of the dirty down, down dirty side of skating. What about you, Eric? Do you have a, a moment that stands out for you? Well, I, I remember it was probably the late 90s, and we'd had a particularly good hockey season and kind of didn't want to relinquish it, even though the climate was dictating such words so we had like a bridge to get out to the ice and uh you know and a pickup pulled right up to the edge with a with a rescue rope already tied onto the bumper and you know and throw throw ropes strategically placed around and uh people <laughs> still trying to get just the last wisp of uh of of winter i uh, you know another interesting thing is that um, I remember uh, playing hockey with uh, Bruce Harrison out there many years ago, and Bruce and I got to talking to him. We had actually um, not only both lived in South Dakota, but we had been in the same dorm. <laughs> what are the chances? Well, you know, it's you know, it's people from cold places, so it's not not as big a world as you think. Without the ice. That moment might not have ever happened. Right, Ian, do you have a a desert highlight, so to speak, you'd like to share with us? Um, not one in particular. I just love hockey. I just love anytime we get a good game of hockey. I'm like very like super joyful and laughing and loving it. Um, so and we've had a lot of that this year, so it's very cool. Like you said, we're not restricted to five on five. I I get a kick out of like nine on nine and ten on ten. It's like a soviet bandy or shinny or some you know what i mean some different you know european style of just fun ice activity it's it's cool there's it's chaotic and i like it i will say i do um 
I have a very special place in my heart for the sloughs. As much as I love Ken's Lake and the skating out there, I think that some of the most magical moments for me skating, and maybe that's just because also was when I was skating the most, were out there on the sloughs and just like kind of how mind-blowing it is to live in a place where you are skating on a surface that not long ago, maybe even a month or two, you had been like floating down on your paddleboard or or something like that, wondering if it was ever not going to be the hottest day on earth. And then it's winter and you're out there and you're skating and it's so magical. I think it's a really, really unique thing. The ice is always different, but, and that's the nice thing about the desert though, because we do, we get that natural Zamboni. So when you get that black ice and you're just, and, and you're getting a reflection of the canyon walls or mountains, whatever in there, and you're just flying and you're just dancing and flying and it's, it's the greatest feeling you can have. It's awesome. Yeah, that, I mean, that speed and that feeling of just smooth flying, you're traveling tremendously fast and, and using very little effort and, uh. I remember one time out on Ken's Lake, and it was a full moon, but there were a lot of clouds, and the clouds were moving pretty fast, so it was like this spotlight would come down and move across the ice, and I was out there alone skating, and it was it was big ice. It was when the whole lake was frozen, and, uh, you know, skating across with a spotlight coming by and a coyote howling in the background, and it was just just uh, again one of those magical moments that you just can't recreate yeah you can you have to be in the right place at the right time and it's total total magic well i um so appreciate you guys for all you do bringing skating into this community i think we all do and being so open and encouraging to all the new people and it's been really fun to watch skating grow in this community but also see uh you three stalwarts, just standard bearing, carrying that torch. We're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> still alive. I'm thinking that it's not going to be too long before maybe two or three of us are out there with our walkers or, you know, the, one, the ones that they Blade used to teach zone. the kids how to skate. We're just going to need them because we just need them. But, um, yeah. And um, if there's any other passing words or anything that you have for – Anyone wanting to get into skating in Moab? or oh, Like I said, people can come on the Facebook page. And um, and we tend to like maybe try to pass on uh, elements of what I would call etiquette. Um, I think in the desert particularly, uh, morning skating, it's, it's very good to skate in the mornings. And it's very often almost mandatory to stay off the ice in the afternoons because you can do a lot of damage. If you go out in the afternoon and the ice is soft and skate, you can really mess up the ice and ruin – a lot of hard work that went into creating and maintaining that ice. So we try to maybe mention that to, to people who are, who are new to the activity. And if you're out there, pick up those shovels if you're just hanging around and roll up your sleeves, do some work, and uh, maybe buy these guys a, a beer or a chocolate chip cookie or something. I don't know. Well, thank you all so much for coming here to KZMU and talking about our shared passion for desert ice. It has been a real treat. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Thanks, Lisa. You can catch Great Wide Open on the KZMU Airwaves every second Monday of the month at 4 p.m. Archives are at kzmu.org or on your podcast player at KZMU Public Affairs.